Hey guys, this is RebJohnsonBlog.com, my podcast. If you go to RebJohnsonBlog.com, you will find more blog posts and actually not the podcast because I am not that technical yet. And speaking of not being that technical yet, I preached a word at Filipino International Christian Church in Chatsworth this past Sunday. And I am not technical enough to bring that recording into this podcast app. But that's okay, because whenever I preach, I feel like I try to make it very personal. And so this is going to be more of the podcast version of that sermon, just for you who say, I want to review this sermon, or hey, I wasn't at Filipino International Christian Church in Chatsworth this past Sunday. So this is just for you. Uh, The title is Moving Walls, and it's actually kind of part two to an Another message I did with them about moving into our calling, but the message is totally still applicable. And the last time I spoke with them, I talked about the call of Abraham and how God gives us a call and he puts out his hand and he says, do you trust me? Much like Aladdin does in that movie in a much more sketchy way with Princess Jasmine, where he's like, I can show you the world. And he says, do you trust me? And the girlfriend should have said, no, that guy was a liar. He had a total front going on, riding up in on elephants and things. He, he tried way too hard. Let's put it that way. But God, does the same thing with no front, just a basic ask of, hey, Abraham, I am calling you out to this place. Do you trust me? Please go because I also have promises for you as well that go along with this. And, you know, God calls each of us to different things, whether it's to be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a minister, an artist, a stay-at-home mom or dad, you know, loving our children fiercely. He calls us to be missionaries. He calls us to different places in the world. And at the same time, he also gives us promises like he gave Abraham that he will never leave us or forsake us, that we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit within us so that way when we lay our hands on the sick, they will be healed, they will recover, that that we can practice our spiritual gifts, whether it be teaching, preaching, hospitality, levels of service that we can do, we can fulfill our calling because of the promises that God gives us. Amen. He doesn't leave us high and dry. Now, for me, I have always had a pretty strong sense of my calling. Ever since I was a kid, I used to sit in church, and I would actually ask my parents to sit up in big church where the big pastor was. And not to say that he was big, but not to say that he was small either. But you know what I mean by big church, you know, the sanctuary. And I went in and I sat with my parents, and I wouldn't just be listening to how the word affected my life. I genuinely would be listening for that. But also, even as a kid, I'd be analyzing, huh, that story was funny. (laughs) That story was boring. Oh, that joke was really funny. That joke had nothing to do with your sermon, dude. And so I would actually be thinking about how every piece of a sermon would be effective and how they would be putting their sermons together. And it really sucks as an adult to still be doing this. Sometimes I have to kind of shut that little voice down so I really get the essence of what God is trying to say. But it's something that God put in me where I felt called to preach and teach as well. But When I looked in the mirror, I didn't see somebody who was called to preach and teach. I looked at somebody who was really short, 
which those of you who are short, uh, you know the struggle it is to get a coffee cup from your kitchen because you're doing gymnastics on your counter <laughs> to try to get up there, you're doing all kinds of crazy things. And you have no shame. It just kind of comes naturally. And when you're short and you're praying for people, you got to reach up to the ceiling to reach those really tall people, those basketball players and, you know, the the people that you literally look up to in every way. Um, also, you know, I, when you're in a Pentecostal church, which I was for the last 10 years, it's hard and kind of scary when you're praying for people and you're afraid that they're going to fall back and kill you <laughs> when they hit slain in the spirit, you know, and I discovered you can't catch those people like a football. You kind of have to treat them like a baby. You know, you have to put the hands on them already. You're supporting them and you gently lead them down to the ground and cover the baby with a blanket when you're done and pray that God does his work. As a short person, there are ways to to do ministry. Amen. And, you know, obviously this is to be funny, but being short isn't that big of an obstacle, but it was something I was insecure about. You know, I looked in the mirror, I said, I'm short. And that was a wall for me. I looked in the mirror and I saw a woman. I still see a woman. And that was a wall for me too, because growing up in the context I was in, I did not see women in the pulpit. I saw them sometimes in ministry pulpits serving with youth and kids, but never in a big, the big church service. And so that was a wall of, can I actually do this? It was really a question in my mind. And I looked in the mirror and I saw this ambiguously brown girl, this Filipino halfy girl. And I didn't know anybody with a story like mine of this crazy adopted Filipino brown story. I didn't see that reflected in the pulpit. I saw, and it's of no offense because we all love the white male pastors in our lives and they obviously inspired me to preach, but I didn't see anybody that looked like me in the pulpit ever. And when I got to my classes, when I was in Bible college, just Bible college in my undergrad years, I looked around the room and I saw these like really cool dudes. I don't even know how to impersonate them because I'm not cool. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah, I'm cool and I love Jesus and guitars and I'm super extroverted. And I'm like, hi, I'm the awkward girl. Um, kind of shy, but I feel called to ministry. And I didn't feel anything like them. And I had a Moses moment of saying, who am I, Lord, that you would be calling me to ministry overall? Because I don't look anything like any of these people. And I create all of these walls in my mind of, you know, why I can't do this, why I can't preach, why I can't teach. Tons and tons of walls. And, you know, God, when he was with Moses, Moses asked him, who am I, Lord, to lead the people out of Egypt? And God didn't even acknowledge, you know, who Moses was. He just, he just flipped the script. He put the mirror in the other direction and said, I will be with you. That's not about who you are. It's about who I am in you and I will be with you. And we know that Moses was successful and he eventually passed the responsibility down to Joshua. And Moses had a call on Joshua's life as well to take the promised land. And of course, the very first thing that Joshua comes across is a wall of water, whoosh, the Jordan River. And God's like, please, I've, I've already split the Red Sea for you. So this is no problem. And they walk across dry land, no biggie. And then they come across, bam, the wall of Jericho, vertical wall, and also horizontal going around. And God's not surprised by that wall either. 
And this story, this title of Moving Walls is because we all face those horizontal, vertical, financial, circumstantial, familial walls, these walls created by people and things and our own thoughts and ideas of ourselves that act as obstacles in that calling that God has given us. And how do we move them? Well, first of all, there's going to be a reason why that wall is there. And if you take a look at Joshua uh, chapter 6, Joshua 6 verse 1, it says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Because of the Israelites, the gates were closed. You see, Jericho, the whole people of all of the land, their perception of the Israelites was probably like, Hey, aren't those those people that were slaves? for 400 years that that king that that pharaoh let go weren't they the ones that were wandering in the desert like a bunch of homeless nomads for like 40 50 years something like that right like weren't they begging for food basically they were waiting for food to come out of the sky you see jericho's perception of the israelites was these people are of no threat to us And then all of a sudden, they hear the story of the people crossing over their river on dry land, and they freak out. They go, red alert, hide the kids, hide the the wife, you know that song, hide your kids, hide your wife. And, you know, they're like, hide everybody up in this place. Shut the doors, shut the gates, because their God parts waters. And the little coffee table God that I made for myself, that I worship, it doesn't even part the water that's in the sink when I do the dishes. So this God is scary. This God... I don't know what he's about, but he does some crazy whatever. (laughs) He does some crazy stuff. And they saw God at work in the Israelites and their perception of them changed. And for me, you know, I think of, hey, Kadeem, my friend Kadeem, that um, we were in Uganda together uh, with our with our team from Abundant Life Church, and we were praying over this guy, and Kadeem and I were prayer partners. And I remember I was praying over this really tall Ugandan's heart. I was doing the awkward short person prayer over like this, what felt like 10-foot Ugandan guy. And I was reaching up to his heart and praying over his heart in a way that was powerful, in a way that the Lord was with me and saying words that I probably wouldn't say all by myself. And I was passionate and I was loud. And this guy starts crying and clearly God is with him and he starts worshiping and he thanks us and he walks away. And my friend Kadeem, he goes, I am scared of you. He looks at me with big eyes that kind of say, who are you? (laughs) Who is this little quiet Filipino girl that has just come out to play today? Who has come out to win for Jesus? And the same thing for us that when we walk out in our calling and when God does work at us, when God did work in the people of Israel of helping them cross that river, the people of Jericho are like, who are these people and who is that God? And I am scared of it. And that's why they barred that wall of saying they're not coming in. And this is important because the walls that we face are because other people are scared of the God at work in our lives. The walls that we face are often there because people don't understand what God is doing in us. Or they look at what God is doing in us and they say, I can't compete with that. Or it goes against the goal that I have in my life. 
Walls are very much created out of fear. And you know, after people see the work of God in your life, they have a couple of ways that they can respond. Uh, obviously, they're going to be taken aback by God at work in you. But they could, one, cheer you on of saying, wow, you prayed for me so powerfully or you ministered to me in such a great way. How can I partner with you? How can I invest in you? Can you pray for me? How can I be praying for you? They can want to be a part of your team, your family, your ride or die. And the people of Jericho could have done this and said, wow, your God parted our waters? This is the land you're meant to take. Please come in. Let us make room for you. Let us worship your true God. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Oh God, Elohim, Adonai, let everything that has breath praise this Lord and this God. Hallelujah. We praise the one true King, the one true God. They could have let go of all of their gods and come and praise the God of Israel, the one true king, the one true God. And we love it when we have people like that. They see the God at work in us and they confirm and affirm it and they join in with us. It's such a good feeling. It's so easy to be around those kinds of people, right? But the other thing that people can do is that they can put up a wall or block you or ignore you, or compete with you, or be not interested in what you have to say. And we need not be afraid and freaking out about it, because we just need to understand that they're putting up that wall because they're afraid, or they don't understand the God at work in us. And God is in us, and he promised that he will be with us. Amen? And, you know, my friend Kadeem that I mentioned earlier, uh, we were both working in Boston and he left Boston before I did. And before he left, he prayed over me and he prayed the same prayer that I hear from like every prophetic preacher that prays over me. And he goes, Rebecca, your voice is uncommon and people are going to overlook you because you do not look like what people think of when they think of a pastor or a preacher or someone in ministry. They're going to overlook you, but you need to do what you need to do because you're called and because God has the habit of using uncommon, what appear to be insignificant things for the significance of his kingdom. And when he said that, he was one of the first people to really say that to me. And to get at some of those deep insecurities I had, these walls that I had put up myself of, I am too short, I am too female, I am too brown, to be able to do what God's called me to do. Those were walls I had created because I was afraid that God couldn't work in me. Walls are often created out of fear, misunderstanding that walls aren't really walls at all. Walls are not obstacles, but really they're opportunities for God to get the glory out of us. 
God wasn't surprised when he saw that wall in Jericho. He's like, yeah, sure, technically that's a wall, that's an obstacle, but this is my opportunity to tear some things down and show that I am God. And the way I created you, Rebecca, what you think are walls are the way that I created you. Sure, you call them walls or obstacles. I call them an opportunity to use my glory, to get some power out of uncommon things. God chooses so many uncommon leaders throughout the Bible. David, the one who was hiding in the back, that son that, you know, his father Jesse didn't even want to mention to be the heart, the heartbeat of God, the man after God's own heart. So if you're just listening to this saying, I'm to this, I'm to that, to be able to do what God's called you to do, it's because of your own fear that God's not going to use you, but it's those very same things that God will use for his glory. Walls are created out of fear, misunderstanding. And that's my first point I want to make really is that what we call walls and obstacles are actually God's opportunity to get some glory to get some glory. Going back into the text, Joshua 6.2 says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Pause. He already gave them the victory is what he's saying. I have delivered the city into your hands. Unpause. Along with its king and its fighting men, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. And this story is super cool. And when I preached this this last Sunday, I made mention of Tita Lisa. Tita in Filipina, Filipino is like auntie, and she's the pastor's wife at this church. And she and I, 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 I say compete very lightly because I don't come to win. I just come to for the participation medal. She and I, we both can see each other's walking steps on the Apple iWatch. So I can see that she does like eight miles a day (laughs) on average. And I'm sitting here running and walking and doing like five barely on some days. And she's like, oh, a knock, which means like child, daughter, loved one. Uh, I I, I see you and I want you to compete with me. (laughs) I'm like, I can't compete. (laughs) I, I don't know what she does all day. Actually, I know that she stands up and she just does a bunch of steps in place. And she loves walking. And so I made the joke that if she were the leader of this march around Jericho that God had established, that she would be like the chief leader of like, all right, everybody, let's go. Let's walk. And I'd be the kid to be like, "Uh, my Fitbit numbers don't go up that high. (laughs) I left my walking shoes on the other side of the Jordan. I'm going to sit this one out. But actually, what I think is interesting about this text and beyond is that Nobody was actually allowed to talk. She wouldn't be allowed to lead us in that way because Joshua adds in 6.10 a little stipulation that says, uh, Joshua 6.10, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then 
shout. And I had forgotten this part of the text before I went in and really studied this more, that they had to be absolutely quiet, silent. And I think this is a real testament to Joshua's leadership because God didn't say anything about being silent, but Joshua did. And I don't know if that's something, you know, maybe God did say it, but it wasn't written down. But Joshua added this, which I think was really smart if it really was just him, because the Israelites, they weren't known for being, as I call it, a quiet, peaceful, polite Pinoys. Pinoy meaning like Filipino, because we're known for being very reserved, quiet. We we try to keep the peace. Israel was not that. They were very much uh, complainers. They were very much grumblers. They were very much Moses. Why did you leave us here to die in the wilderness? And they made their thoughts known. And I can imagine them walking around this wall and Joshua being like, I have to walk around with these people for seven days. No one gets to say anything. I don't care if God said that they could talk. I am not allowing it. (laughs) Because you know that there would have been one of those guys in the back walking on day five being like, um, it's day five and that wall doesn't look any shakier. You know, God, you you said you're going to bring this wall down. Could we have a sign that this is what we're doing, that it's right? You know, an earthquake would be really good, but not like one of those crazy earthquakes, you know, just one of those little California ones that kind of rumble and you roll over the next day just so we know that everything looks good oh by the way i'm really hungry do they have good food in there do they have in and out do they have a trader joe's whoo i'm really hungry can i take this lap and uh yeah do it again tomorrow because i'm a little bit hungry and i need to go um check on something in the oven or you know what there's a del taco across the street i'll just go there you know they i can imagine that these guys that were trained for war, because these were the armed men, might have had some things to say (laughs) if they had been given permission to say. And I say all of this to say that God doesn't need our extra commentary, doubtful commentary and suggestions. The idea of being quiet while doing God's plan, God's outlined plan for us, is so difficult because aren't we like that when we see an obstacle, we see a wall in our life and God says, go around it. That we say, but God, that doesn't make sense. Or can you give me affirmation that this is the right thing? Can you give me a sign like an earthquake so that way I know that I'm doing this right? Can you, you know, drop a few extra bucks in my account so I can be like, hallelujah, Jesus, he provides. We have to trust that God's original plan is good. He doesn't need our commentary, our suggestions, which is difficult because sometimes his his plans, his original plan is seems so crazy because these guys were trained for war. They could have been like, God, we're going to take this city in your name. Just get on board with us. And they could have stormed the city. And so much, so many times we see a mountain, we see an obstacle, we see a wall, we're like, there's no mountain he won't climb up. Uh, I'm messing up the words, no, no shadow he won't light up. Mountain he won't climb up, coming after me. He can move the mountains. And we're ready to tear down those walls, go up those mountains, be like, yeah, this is in Jesus' name. And God's like, you better go up and around that mountain. I did not tell you to climb up that. I did not tell you to tear that down. You better go around. 
my plan is better. You better consult with me first before you go out and do some craziness and throw out your back trying to climb up that mountain. Okay? God's plan is so much better than ours. (laughs) But it seems crazier. That brings me to point number two, that God miraculously makes a way around our walls. And it's not to say that sometimes he doesn't just say, push through it, go for it, climb over the mountain, but he gives us very specific instructions so that way he can get the glory out of it. It can't be off of our own strength. It needs to be off of his instructions, his plan, his way. So we can't say it was us. We, we can say it was only God. So God makes a way around our walls. And you know, I'm so much, when it comes to travel, I love to plan. I love to do things my way. You know, I don't think it's something where I need to uh, consult God too much. It's more like I consult TripAdvisor. <laughs> I consult Google Maps. And, you know, I went on to Google Maps and I planned our whole trip from California Uh, not California, from Boston to California. And I loved it. I love planning how many hours it's going to take to get from destination to destination. I love looking up routes. We visited a ton of friends along the way. And the very first leg of our trip was from Cal, I don't want to say California, was from Boston to Baltimore, which isn't a super long leg of our trip compared to other days we did. And I figured that day would be pretty easy But I didn't account for the fact that I would be emotionally exhausted from saying goodbye to everyone. I would be physically exhausted from having to pack up my whole entire life out of our apartment into this Ford SUV. I would be physically exhausted because I wouldn't be able to sleep for four days because I had to keep packing and planning for our final sermon and going to a bunch of going away parties and having people come visit us for hours on end while we were packing so they could say goodbye. And I didn't want to say no to any of those things and didn't feel that I could or that I should because I loved my people and I loved my city. And when it came time for moving day, there were all these walls that had been created of tiredness, of sickness. I didn't have a voice on the last day, on the day that we moved. Um, I was, I don't even want to describe how sick I was because it was just absolutely gross. And there was a wall of weather called a nor'easter. And for those of you that don't know, um, a nor'easter is nothing like the happy Easter bunny or anything like that. A nor'easter is when the whole entire northeast falls upon you in every way of snow, sleet, slushiness, disgusting weather. And there were walls up in every which way. And Curtis and I, we trudged through it. I, I applaud my husband of trudging through this weather. And eventually we get into the state of Maryland and we're in this country road. I don't know if it was actually a country road, but it felt like it to me and that there were no buildings. It was all just trees, darkness, no street lights, just our headlights, but our headlights behind a whole line of red headlights in front of us. And there were red headlights behind us. And we were sitting in traffic for about 20 minutes, only to discover that there was a billboard that was hanging over the freeway that we were trying to get on. And so they had shut down all of the bridges to get into Baltimore that night. 
And all of us waiting, we were the ones waiting to get on that bridge to get to Baltimore. You see, we needed to get to Baltimore because that's where our hotel was for the night. And the Lord in my spirit had promised me that you are going to sleep in a bed tonight because I hadn't slept in four nights and because I had been sitting straight up in this car for the whole entire day unable to sleep because I couldn't even push my seat back. There was a Jenga puzzle behind me of all of our stuff that we owned. And there was a bunch of stuff on the floor because we couldn't even fit all of it in the back of our SUV. We couldn't even see out our back window. It was so packed. And so we had to make a decision. Either we sit and get frustrated by this wall of traffic or we go around. And so we actually looked up on Google Maps and tried to find our way around and we we foregoed our original plan of staying at the hotel that we wanted to because uh, from what we could tell there was no way we were going to get there the storm wasn't stopping and so we eventually find out there's a days in a mile away and we start to drive and all we hit is a wall here a wall there another wall here and there of traffic of traffic and eventually we enter into this gridlock situation where there are cars trying to get in every direction through an intersection, and Curtis turns on his inner Filipino jeepney driver. If you've ever been to the Philippines and you've been into Manila, like LA traffic is nothing compared to there. They make four lanes of traffic into 10 because they're all trying to squeeze in and out. And he knew just how to get through that traffic in his jeepney style Ford SUV all the way to the Days Inn parking lot. Only to find that everybody was doing the same thing we were. Because that parking lot was full of people just sitting in their cars, which was not a good sign. We go into the Days Inn and there's another wall of people everywhere. Covering the carpet, we had to step over people to get to the front desk. There were people lying asleep in their hallways. Not in rooms, but in their hallways. And of course, we go up to the desk and there is no room in the inn. And we go back to the car and I have an emotional breakdown. And Curtis is like, don't tell anybody about this. But I had already posted it on Facebook. Gridlocked in Baltimore, outside of Baltimore, can't sleep, haven't slept. And my parents are like freaking out over this of my daughter's sleeping in a car. And Curtis said, we're going to have to sleep in our car tonight there. This is our way around right now. And, you know, being sick, being not sleeping for four days, I just broke down. I'm like, God, you left me to here to die in the Maryland wilderness. It was just like the Israelites of God, you have left us to die here in the wilderness. I would have been better back in Boston before you called me out. And I I was just I, I was I was upset. I was I was so tired. I was emotional. I felt like God had forsaken me to die in the Maryland wilderness. And eventually when you are asleep in a car or trying to sleep in a car where you can't keep the heat on running all night in a winter storm, you get cold and you realize you need to use the little girl's room. And so we go back into the days in, use the little girl's room. And then the woman at the front desk says, I have one room with a queen bed. And Curtis immediately puts up his hand and he was like, on the price is right. Curtis Johnson, come on down. And he's like stepping over people, hurtling over them. He gets to the front desk, gets the key. And I, my spirit, I didn't even have enough uh, to completely shout. But I was like, hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. 
yeah, I get to sleep tonight. The room was really gross. Um, there were like, um, uh, questionable bugs in the shower and stuff, but I didn't care. It seemed like a five-star resort to me because I got to sleep. I had made it to the land that God had promised me. Hallelujah. Oh, and I was like, your presence is heaven. I was out. You know, I probably had like five seconds of praise and I was done. And I tell you this story to tell it. Uh, one, because Curtis has this vision of telling this story from his his perspective in like a comedy skit. And I'm like, no, I'm going to steal that story. <laughs> hey, actually, after I did the sermon, he's like, did you steal that story for me? I'm like, yes, I did. <laughs> I took your idea and I stole it and I tried to tell it my way before you taint it. Um, but I tell you that story because sometimes we hit walls of traffic. We hit financial walls. We hit people not approving of us walls. We hit our own walls of fear and we get frustrated frustrated. We might get depressed. We might feel like saying, God, why have you forsaken me out in this Maryland wilderness? And God just seems silent. And we have to remember that God makes a way around our walls that only he can do. We can't just sit in the traffic and be upset about it. We have to consult God about these plans because he miraculously makes a way around. And point number three that I have, if you're taking notes, mental or, or physical, point number three is that we need to remember and repeat what God told us to do until he says to shout, to stop and shout. Remember and repeat what God told us to do because, you know, I had felt God has a call for me to sleep in a bed tonight. But I reached a point where I said, you know what, God, you are being too silent right now. Why is there no room for me in that inn? And I was frustrated. I was tired. I was panicky. But I needed to remember that God, just like the people of Jericho, God had already given me the victory. The city is already delivered into your hands. And if he has set you forth on a call, on a task, on something you're supposed to do, he is going to give you the victory. The question is, have you finished the last task that God asked you to complete? He said to walk around that wall for six days. And then on the seventh day, seven times. Have you completed all of your laps? Have you done everything that God told you to do? Do you still believe that it's working, that he's working for you? He's working for you because all things are working for your good. He's intentional. Every lap is intentional. And it's working for our good. But have we completed all of our laps? Have we done everything that God told us to do? Because if not, we need to finish it. We get so distracted sometimes. For me personally, I get distracted by so many projects, so many other walls that God asked me to move and conquer. But he's like, I didn't actually want you to walk around all those walls. You still haven't finished this one yet. You still haven't finished the laps around writing your book. Oh, confession time. Good for the soul. You have not finished that. I did not tell you to get wrapped up in everything else. Sure, they're good and I'm going to use it for your good. But... Will you just finish this? Will you not get distracted by the things you see on social media that you think you should be doing? Will you not get distracted by uh, 
focusing all of your attention onto something that just need a little bit. I need you to finish this project over here. Finish these laps. And we get so overwhelmed by all of the walls, all the other distractions, all the other projects God has going or what we think God has going for us. And God's like, did you finish the last thing I told you to do? You still have to conquer Jericho before you can conquer the rest of these cities. Hello, this was the first city. Can we finish the first city, please? (laughs) We need to remember and repeat what God told us to do until he says it's time to stop and shout. Because we're going to get to that place. God's going to give us the victory. And that's point number four. Uh, Oh, actually, before I get there, a couple points I made on Sunday that I didn't mention here. Just because the walk is difficult doesn't mean God's plan has changed. I think, you know, sometimes we walk around these walls, you know, the song, walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. You know, just because the walk is difficult, just because our journey has been crazy and what we've been carrying is heavy, it it doesn't mean that God's plan has changed. He already gave us victory, so we just need to believe that it's there. And that leads us to point number four, that God is faithful to his promise. And we could just end this right here that, you know, God gave them the victory. Uh, Looking at Joshua 6, 20, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted at the sound of the trumpet. When the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. Hallelujah. They have the city now. They have gone into the promised land. They took it. And hallelujah, we could end all of this right here and right now, but there's one more thing I want to add. They had victory, but the story doesn't end there. In Joshua 6, 22, 20 through 23, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. This is important. Obviously, the the battle of Jericho, the fall of Jericho, whatever you want to call the story, could easily have ended with just the fall of the city and Israel going into the promised land. But Joshua says, go back and get this family that's in here because we have made a promise to her. And just a little bit of backstory in Joshua 2.1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. This is before the fall of Jericho, before they start walking around the wall. He says, go over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So before all of this had happened, Joshua saw the whole entire land. And for some reason, he said, spy out the land, especially Jericho. We don't know why. It doesn't say anything about Jericho of why it made it special. Other than the rest of that chapter talks about the family of Rahab and how Rahab saved these two spies. Which leads us to believe that Jericho was special because of this family. He said, go look over the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. And she saved them. 
So why was Jericho special? Because Rahab was there is going to be my my little argument here. But and what was so important about Rahab and her rescue? If we look into Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus, this is the genealogist of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of, then he goes down the line, Matthew chapter 1. This is important. We go through the family line of Jesus until it gets to Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Connecting the dots here. So Abraham was given a call and promises that his family line would be made great, like the stars in the sky. And it wouldn't just be his family that was great and blessed, but his family would be a blessing to the nations. We get to Jericho, where this woman's family is. And The people of Israel, they've also been given a promise that this would be the land that they would conquer and claim. And they do that, but they also claim and rescue this family. And this woman, her family becomes part of the family line of Jesus, the one who rescued and saved us, the one who became the one who blessed the nations, fulfilling the promise of Abraham. This leads to point number five, that others are waiting on God's promises to be fulfilled in our lives. The story of the battle of Jericho could easily also be called the rescue of Rahab. This is so important in that in the simple fact of them fulfilling their call, their purpose, They rescued a family. And them moving the walls of Jericho and God tearing that down for them, it revealed a family that needed to be rescued, not for just this family's sake and not just because she was good to these spies and protected them, but because her family would be the family line that would lead to Jesus, our Savior. And Jericho, uh, the people of Jericho, the Israelites could not fully understand that in that moment. And in that same way, we cannot fully understand the impact that our saying yes to our calling and saying yes to God and having him fulfill his promises in us, how it will impact other people and other families for the sake of Jesus. And I want you to get this because this is important that we not only understand what our calling is, but that we care about it and know that we have to move walls. We have to tear them down because when walls move, it reveals families that need to be rescued, people who need to be saved, people who need to be brought into the family of God. Dare I say that God used a reckless love, not just to claim this land for this people, but he would say, there's no mountain, there's no shadow I will light up, mountain I won't climb up coming after her. There's no wall I won't kick down, lie I won't tear down coming after her. And not just for the sake of her, but for the sake of the family that 
<laughs> that would lead to the Savior, that would lead to the one who would save us. I just want you to see that the Bible is such a grand story that we are a part of. And your call, your your God has a promise to fulfill in you that is so much greater than what we might be able to even understand in this lifetime. I'll end with this story that uh, when I was in Boston, that there was this woman that I had met a little bit younger than me. And she was an amazing preacher. I heard her preach one Sunday in our church. And I said, wow, this woman, she brings intelligence. She brings a sensitivity, a genuineness to the pulpit that I haven't really seen in anyone else. And uh, she... She is beautiful and she is very much beautiful, not just physically, but in spirit and how God created her as well. And before I left Boston, there was a going away party that we had where people said really nice things about Curtis and I and uh, just sent us off really well. And she said, you know, when I first came to Abundant Life Church, I heard Rebecca preach and I, I looked at her And I said, wow, Rebecca's preaching. I've never seen a woman preach. Maybe I should preach. Maybe I'm called to preach. And that just, hey, it it broke my heart to hear the story of another woman feeling like she couldn't preach or that that wasn't even a possibility or a door that was open to her. And at the same time, you know, my heart was just uplifted and encouraged and affirmed that I needed to follow God's call for my life because it would reveal other people who were called to do the same thing. It would reveal that there are people who need to be brought into the family of God, whose calls need to be ignited, whose promises need to be fulfilled in them. And so when you say yes to serving God in your church, in your world, in the places that God has called you to go in your vocations, your educations, in your neighborhoods. God doesn't just rescue you of that song, uh, Reckless Love. Yes, we know that we are the one that God went after, but he's also called us to be the one that goes after others. He wants others to be able to say of us that there's no shadow she won't light up. There's no mountain she won't climb up. No wall she won't kick down coming after me. Because when we're faithful to miraculously move around the walls of our lives, to keep going even when it's difficult, even when the walk is hard, it will reveal that God will have victory over every wall and that it will also reveal that there are people behind those walls that need to be in the family of God. So love recklessly, my friends. Love recklessly. Keep walking around the walls. Keep going after your calling because God has promised you victory. And when he does, you'll find perhaps sooner than later or perhaps maybe generations after us, it will be revealed that others were rescued because of God working in us and because of our obedience to do what he asked us to do. So complete your task, care about your call, 
and move walls with me. Amen? Amen. (laughs) I hope you guys have an awesome week. I know this was a long one, but I pray that it blesses you. And let's just pray out, actually. Father, I just thank you for each and every person who listens to this podcast, whether for the first time or the seventh or the second, (laughs) however many times. God, I just pray that you would affirm that they are indeed called to a vocation and education to a place of service with you in their churches, in their world, in their workplace, Lord God, in their homes, in their families. Would you affirm what that is, Lord, and would you give them the strength to keep going when it's difficult? Would you help them to recognize the mental walls that sometimes we create out of fear? And would you help us to see that those walls are just opportunities for you to get some glory out of us? God, would you affirm the way that you created us, that there is nothing that can get in the way of your promise, because we have every victory in you, Lord God. And Lord, may we not lose the perspective that as we follow our call, that you will reveal in your time and in your way families that need to be rescued and saved. And may we, re- may we be ready to do the work and the rescuing that you have called of us. May we be the ones to put our hands and feet to your labor, Lord Jesus, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.